I'm looking at making sure that cash flow is going to happen. And the best indicator for that is population growth. All right, welcome to the Deals Today podcast. And this is another interview. We're going to be interviewing Jay Helms, the creator of the W2 Capitalist, a Facebook group you can find if you search for W2 Capitalist. He created that group, and he also created a mastermind attached to it. And the whole idea is how to invest while working a W2. His whole slogan is earn, invest, repeat. And he's a, obviously he's a W, he was a W2 worker until COVID-19 pandemic laid him off. And he has to make things happen before he burns through his emergency funds. And he's a, he has a family, a wife and kids. And in this interview, we talk about his story, how he got started, how he went from single family flipping, holding some of those, selling those off, working his way up to bigger deals into small multifamily and now into large multifamily. He talks about tips on how to get started, get how to get into syndication and multi-investing. Um, how to partner with people, what to say to partners when you, whenever you need to sell them on a deal, what to ask a syndicator, three of the most important indicators to look at when choosing an area, some other unknown employment factors when choosing an area, how to time manage while working a W-2. And his whole story is just an interesting story. I mean, he worked his way up from small deals to larger deals, all working a W-2, all having kids, and now he got laid off because of COVID and he has to make things happen right now. Um, so we talk a little bit about that, his time management, how to work these larger deals. So stay tuned for the whole thing. And of course, if you're not on my email list and you want to get tips on marketing, copywriting, mindset, and business related to real estate investing, go to realestateaudios.com. So Jay, I'm curious to know, because I don't even know exactly what real estate strategy you're in. I know you do multifamily. But what exactly do you do? Yeah, so I am focused on on buy and hold. You know, working a working a W two job that was the easiest way for me. Uh, well, I take that back. I wouldn't say it's the easiest way. It was one of the strategies that really just fit my personality. Right, uh, very early on, I figured out I was not a wholesaler. I was not able to have the time to fix and flip or do any kind of rehab, even though it's, it's kind of sexy, cool, and, and you know, I don't say trendy, but it's a sexy and cool thing to do, right? So very early on, my wife and I, we started focusing on, on buy and hold. And uh, we started in single family. Our very first property was a one bedroom, one bath, 600 square foot house that was a foreclosure. And we paid 22000 for it put 9,000 into it and rented it right away for 600 bucks a month. And uh, we had the best tenant in there. It kind of spoiled us from that standpoint. But yeah, we've gradually moved on. We moved after buying a couple of single family homes, then we moved into duplexes and quads. And, And so that all started in 2014. And then in 2017, we started focusing more on midsize multifamily, closed our first deal, in 2017 on a 40, it was a 42 unit, uh, with some other general partners. Uh, since then I've been uh, investing as a limited partner in some of the other bigger deals as we continue to sell off our single families and just basically, you know, kind of like the old monopoly game, 
you buy a couple of houses and you trade them in for a hotel. That's kind of what we've been doing for the last couple of years. And, but my focus right now, cause I am a recent exiter of the W2 world, uh, courtesy of, of COVID is my focus is finding our next apartment complex that I'll be a general partner on, which basically means I'm going to present it to a group of investors and put the deal together, structure the deal, and then help, help the property manager manage that asset from a day-to-day basis. So it's truly passive that way, right? Yeah, it is for the for the limited partner, right? So for the limited partner who right, comes right. in, it's it's truly pat. And I've always been uh, up until this last. So we did we participated in two limited partnerships last year, and mainly so two reasons why is number one, I just didn't have the time to go out and find a deal and try to put it together, and well, more than two reasons. Number two is we had some money. Right, we had sold some single families, and we were looking to invest in some deals. And and number three, I really wanted to see how these big guys, these big syndicators, operated because I knew that was kind of the path that I wanted to go to. And I was like, well, why, you know, what better way to learn than these guys who are closing, you know, five thousand doors a year or whatnot? And um, so I have been very critical about limited partnerships and it being a a truly passive investment until I did it. And then it's one of those things like, you know, you don't, you shouldn't, if you shouldn't hold such a strong opinion about something you know nothing about, that was me a couple of years ago, right? As I (laughs) figured out that being a limited partner, as long as you have a really good syndicator, a really good sponsor, it truly is passive. And these two deals that we're in, I'll get an email from them uh, monthly uh, or quarterly, depending on how the, the deal is set up, that coincides with the distribution that comes in right and they're both set up with a preferred return so it's really just i mean there's really nothing that i do besides sit back and read an email and collect a check it is truly the most passive way you can you can uh, invest so your wife she was all on board with this was she part of your team Definitely. That's kind of number one, right? Is she's got to, you got to be, uh, you got to have a significant other on board. And I don't know, we all, we both kind of call it the HGTV bug early on. Now they don't do a whole lot of buy and hold <laughs> shows on HGTV right. because it's not, you know, there's very little drama in it. There's, it's, it's just not sexy and cool, but that kind of gave us the start to say, okay, we want to get into this real estate thing. And we just kept looking and seeing, you know, this was back in, um, 2008, 2009, where everything was kind of going to hell in a handbasket. And, you know, we kind of sat back and we just watched for, really five, six years before we started saying, okay, let's, let's dive in. Here's what we want to do until we bought that first, first single family house. But yeah, to answer your question, she is definitely on board. You know, we have three small children, uh, small meaning they're all five and under. And she is the, what I call as superwoman. She is the caretaker, the primary caregiver for all of us. Uh, I know sometimes she labels me as her fourth child because how I act sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I'm not throwing tantrums, so to speak, but I am uh, just in there with the kids, just being a kid, you know, and, or being a grown kid. But no, she's very much involved. She wants to be more involved when she can. But uh, yeah, she has my back 100% as I continue to go and yeah. find deals and focus on this full time. What was the biggest struggle you had balancing W-2 and real estate? You know, early on, the biggest struggle was finding time, right? How do you find time to be present for your W-2, be present for your family? How do you do that, right? And, and 
me not being a morning person now we're recording this somewhat early it's not early to me anymore but it used to be right is that i had struggled getting up and it really became a lifestyle change right no more staying up till midnight two o'clock the night before just watching tv and just vegging out it was all right i'm going to bed when the kids go to bed at nine so i can get up at 4 a.m or not 4 4 30 a.m to do real estate right underwrite deals try to find deals do some virtual driving that sort of thing and, and that was probably the biggest struggle was making that change. But once I made that change, one of the things that I figured out is the getting up early part was not an issue because it really wasn't getting up early. I just made a shift in the time that I went to bed from the time I got up. I was still getting my seven, eight hours a night because I'm a guy who requires a lot of sleep to recharge. I mean, when I put my head on the pillow, I, I am done. There's not a whole lot that can wake me up kind of thing. And so it was one of those things where I, when I shifted, when I said, okay, look, I still need my seven, eight hours a night. That means if I go to bed at nine, I can get up at four or five and, and I'd still be okay. It took me a while to do that, right? It just, it, I didn't think about that one day and do it the next. I had to, I tried that method, but it's kind of like going into the gym for the first time in, in six months and putting your max on the bench and trying to push it out. You're not going to do it, right? So I had to work myself into it. And that was one of the biggest shifts, but it allowed me to see how much different my days were going to be when I got up early in the morning before the rest of the house was awake and was able to focus on something that I was truly passionate about. And it just, you know, for a couple of hours and it just, it put my day in such a different trajectory. It was amazing. Right. So when it came time to go to the W2, I was excited to go to work because I had just spent two hours putting a brick here and there on the real estate empire and I felt accomplished. So now, you know, now I'm going to go to the W2, grind it out, come back home and be present for the family. You know what I mean? So the biggest shift was trying to get up early in the morning. Uh, but after that, and after I realized the power of being able to do it, it was a no brainer. Now, did you leave the W2 or did they force you out because of COVID? So I was, uh, I was 10%, uh, part of the 10% of the workforce that was laid off. So, uh, See, so one of the best things that happened, best things that happened so far. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to say that cause it depends on who I talk to. They're like, Oh, sorry to hear that. I'm like, I don't know. It's fine. It's, it's actually perfect because it forced me to do something that I probably would never have had the guts to do because I've been in the W2 world 20 something years and, you know, having that constant well, I was in sales, so it really wasn't, uh, really wasn't that constant of a paycheck. But having that constant influx of money uh, really, it really trained me, you know. So, so the, yeah, this was. I am treating it like a blessing, making it to where, and I'm making it to where I never have to go back. So, before COVID happened, did you have like a a bar to that you wanted to reach before leaving? Because I remember you saying a while back that uh, the leaving wasn't in the horizon. All of a sudden, months later, COVID happened and you're, you're, you're gone from the W-2. And I, I can relate, like the comfort of a W-2 is very hard to pass over, to leave like that out of the blue. And it's a mental a mind struggle. So what did you have in mind to leave your W-2 before COVID? Yeah, and just to put some parameters on around this, I mean, I was, you know, last year I made 170000 Right. So it, it wasn't a small salary that I, I was leaving. You know what I mean? So, or it wasn't all salary, it was salary plus commission. But 
we were on what I had laid out to be a seven year journey to have the option of leaving the W2, right? Because the job I was in, I love the people that I worked with, you know, the people that I worked for, they were all really, really good people. And they were just a joy to be around. The seven year journey that we were on, we were probably about year four into it. And when I, when this happened, I, I took a day or two to mope around the house thinking, you know, cause I'm, I hate to lose more than I like to win. And I'm moping around the house thinking some other asshole gets to keep his job and I don't. Right. And then as the supportive wife, as she is, she says, well, you know, this is really just an opportunity for us to focus on real estate investing full time. And that's kind of when the light bulb went off, it was like, well, this is just an expedited timeline. And it really came down to her being part of my circle and supporting factors. And, you know, I run a mastermind and I got to share with the mastermind members kind of before it all happened, just the way that, you know, the layoffs happened. I, I got wind of it before the actual, the actual day. Right. And, you know, I told them about it and, and the members of the mastermind were excited. And like, look, think about how much you've built in the last three years or four years doing this. And now that you're going to have eight hours back a day or even, you know, more than that in some days, how much quicker and how much bigger you're going to be able to build this and having those people having being surrounded by those people is what really was able, really enabled me to get over that mental shift, right? Of, oh man, what am I going to do? For, you know, how are we going to survive? Blah, blah, blah. We got three young kids. I'm like, we just, I just got to get after it, right? This is what I've been wanting to do for a long time. We just need to treat it as an expedited timeline. Sure, it's not going to be as comfortable, right? But as the masters uh, behind it say that growth happens outside of your comfort zone. And that was one of the things that just, just happened. Hey, real quick, I want to introduce you to my free daily newsletter where I give out free daily tips to real estate investing strategies, marketing, and sales techniques to keep you the part-time investor moving forward every day. So head on over to realestateaudios.com and you'll get a free report along with that free daily newsletter. Was the shift, um, a big shift, a gap in income and you had to struggle and start reducing your expenses or was the income enough to support your lifestyle as is? It was a pretty big shift. Now, what I would like to say is that we were we were doing so well that we really didn't pay attention to what we were spending money on and how we were spending how we were spending it, which is horrible, right? Which you know it's it's one of those things where <laughs> if I went back a year and knew what was going to happen with the COVID layoff, we would have been spending differently for that entire year, and we would have been in a much bigger place. So yeah, it, it was a pretty big shift. I mean, you know, I'm bringing home well over ten grand a month you know, and that just goes away, then you're like, wow, what are we going to do? How are we going to replace that? <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of that money, we, we were very good. I wouldn't say great, but we were very good at putting back for our next acquisition. So we had given ourselves a, um, a runway in case anything, you know, you know like this happened. So with a lot of the financial guys that I follow, they talk about having a three to six month runway of, uh, you know, emergency fund to cover all your expenses. And we had built that up. So effectively I've got, you know, six months to make this thing happen or, or not, or I'll be calling back saying, Hey, give me my job back. Or, you know, how can I, how can I sweep the floors and clean toilets, you know, kind of thing. So it was a big financial shift. 
So what what's the plan from here on? Because you got laid off uh, what, two months ago, three months ago. Uh, May first. Yeah. So, so, so May first. Okay. So so you got another five, uh, four months to go to make it happen. Yeah. Right. So what's your plan? I'm sure you you brainstormed and you, and you got a new plan going on to make that happen. So what what is that plan? Yeah, it seems to change every day. I wish I could someone come in here and say, "Hey, I'm just here's how clear I am on this." But there's so there's two parts to my business, my real estate entrepreneurship. There's the investing side, and those you know those make up that makes up about thirty thirty percent of our in, our income right now, just the distributions and whatnot, the cash flow from from our rental properties, and then there is the uh, coaching and, or not necessarily coaching. I don't do any one-on-one coaching, but the educational piece of our business, which is known as the W2 capitalist, right? And the W2 capitalist, it's a, you know, host a couple of masterminds. I've got a podcast, started doing a lot more on YouTube here recently. And that part of the business is where I'm going to, f- I'm currently putting most of my focus and time and energy in is to grow that up. And and a couple of reasons for that, right, is because that is something that I can immediately inject and have a pretty easily definable return with the current state of the economic conditions, you know, in, in the current state of the market, it's really hard to find a great deal. You know, there are good deals out there. I don't want a good deal on a great deal. And I'm being patient and I'm building relationships with potential investors and brokers and lenders and all that for what I think is coming up is going to be a buying season here, probably Q4, maybe probably closer to Q1 of next year. So I'm being patient on that side, right? So right now my focus is just building out the W2 capitalist and and making that business a... uh, viable supporter for our family. Tell me about your kids. How do you then, how do you manage that at home? You know, kids need a lot of time. You know, I get home and they're always, they're excited. They want me to play with them. But then I I always take like an hour, half hour to still work on my business. Mm. But on the weekends, I'm, I'm still hustling. I'm still working, hammering it away. How do you manage that at home? Prior to getting laid off, you know, it was, I was very systematic. You know, I, I forced myself into these time blocks where I would only do real estate stuff in the morning before they were up. And a lot of times I, I would, um, cause they're, you know, they're not of school age and we just kind of let them sleep in and, and whatnot. Uh, I would be out the door to the W2 before they ever got up. But when I come home at night, I would be so mentally exhausted <laughs> that all I wanted to do was just lay on the floor and wrestle with them and play with them. Right. And, uh, you know, you'd have a couple of hours with them before it's time to eat supper and take a bath and do the whole bedtime routine, uh, which sucked by the way, you know, I mean, it was just uh, two hours a day with your kids is not, uh, not a whole lot of time, especially at that young of an age. So yeah, I, when I had the W2, I was very systematic and, and blocked that time off and was very good about putting my phone down when I came home and, you know, the real estate stuff, would just had to wait. And it, what's funny is before getting laid off, the, the quote was uh, the constant thing that I hear, man, you're really hard to get a hold of. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. Right. And then now uh, some advice i would say probably from a mentor i don't know he's not officially my mentor but somebody i look up to i was talking to them to him about my business and stuff like that he goes well here's one thing i've noticed is you're too available 
<laughs> I'm like, well, what's the, you know, where's the, where's the difference? And, uh, or, you know, what's, what's worse or what's better. And, and uh, so it was just kind of funny, but yeah, it, it was now that, um, now that I'm working straight from home and, and able to, to be here with the kids is still, you know, taking those times to make sure I spend time with them because they do, man, they're, they're little sponges. They want to be around you. They want to soak up that energy and just, you know, have dad time. They get, they get enough of mom, I think throughout the day, uh, because she's with them, you yeah, know, pretty much sun up, sun down actually. So I, I have to do a good job of that, uh, or better job of that, but working home full time now, it's, it's allowed me to, you know, Hey, I have lunch with them. You know, and I don't, I don't necessarily stick in my office, close the like I'm in here now with the door closed, and you'll probably still hear one of them scream or whatnot here in a, here in a little bit. But a lot of times I sit here with the door open, working. You know, invite them in. Hey, come see what Dad's doing. My son thinks it's cool that I have a YouTube channel. He's also <laughs> impressed. So we'll see if we can keep that keep that going. But yeah, it it, it is something that you have to to constantly think about and and monitor right and back to superwoman she's always she's rem, sometimes reminds me of hey she's good at good at understanding of when i need to focus on when it's you know it's qu- the quote-unquote family time and when also hey supper's ready come join us we're all sitting at the table you know it's just those little soft reminders to hey you got to come be a dad you know right now so um but yeah we, we make it work but like anything, there's always areas for improvement, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's never perfect, but at least you know, majority of the time we're trying. You know, we're trying to improve our habits and get those good disciplined habits going every day. You know. So uh, going back to how you your strategies, um, you didn't use private money. It sounds like it was you're kind of pocketing some money from your W two, and then you're uh, you're the full investor in these deals. And that was that way when we were buying single family and up to our quads. Um, and then when we we did our um, general partnership for our apartment complex, we definitely leveraged other people's money. And then with the limited partnerships, you know, we're just a small portion of the the entire investor pool for that to work. But yeah, for the most part, we we had been very diligent. You know, as we were sticking with the single family theme, hey, we're gonna we're gonna work, we're gonna save up for our next down payment. Then we're going to go buy, you know, whatever the next property is for sure. Were these in your area or out of state? The single families were in our area. It was, you know, what I referred to as our own backyard. And those were a lot easier to find in 2014, 2015 when we started. But as, you know, as the economy improved and the market improved, it was just it's really difficult to find things here in Pensacola. That's where I'm based out of. So right now, you know, we had... At our max number of units, we had nine or 10 here in Pensacola, and now we're down to one. That So what we've been doing is just selling them off and basically trading up, right? So trading up into these larger deals or buying these small multifamilies in other, prop, in, in other areas where um, they make more sense or make more dollars, I should say. Awesome. And um, for people that are getting into this starting out and you know they want to go the the route of syndicator maybe or bigger deals what's your recommendation advice for them 
just starting out, if you're just starting out and you want to get into a syndication or being a syndicator or sponsor is definitely find somebody. Well, two things, you got to find the deal, right? You've, and you've got to have some money. It's not, this is not one of these low or no money down strategies because in order to get people interested in it, you, you've got to have probably 15 or 20 grand to go through. And there's a little bit of risk there, right? For you, but you've got to have that sort of money to go through un, uh, due diligence on these bigger deals. You know, so you've got to have money. Number one, number two is look for somebody who, who has a style that you like with multifamily being a syndicator and go figure out how you can work with them on a deal because you're going to learn so much. And quite frankly, the, the, the transaction and dealing with the banks and everything, it's going to just go so much more smoother when somebody who has a proven track record is on your, on your team. That's one of the things when you first start talking to banks, regardless of the loan size, they're going to say, tell me about your experience. And I've had I've before, I'm like, well, this is my first one, right? Then the the banker usually says, well, here's what you're going to do. You got to find somebody who's got experience. Um, not only somebody experienced, but somebody of high net worth because they're all, they've already identified that you're a risk, right? But since then, when I get asked that question now and I start saying, well, I'm a general partner on 42 units and I'm a lending partner on an additional 200 and something, they're like, okay, okay, well, let's talk about the deal, right? I mean, it quickly checks that box and um, they're like, all right, you're, you're qualified in that sense. Let's, let's go to, uh, let's get into the meat of this thing. So find somebody, if your first deal, number one, you've got to have some money. Number two, find somebody that um, uh, has done it before. So the people that uh, these syndicators have done it before, what is the benefit to them when you're if you're if you're brand new but you got some money, um, and you want to park that money somewhere? How do you approach them to say, hey, I want to tag along and learn from you? What's the benefit to them that you can present? So any syndicator is looking looking to make money, right? So if you come on, if you come to somebody. And here's one thing I'd recommend is don't try to sell them on the deal, right? Don't directly go to this. Hey, look, I've got this great deal, blah, blah, blah. I want you to partner with me on it. Don't do that, right? Because if you go in there and you say, hey, I've got, got this great deal, number one, in their eyes, you they probably are thinking that you don't know what a great deal is because you've never done one. So approach them with saying, look, I've got this deal. It's under contract. I'd love to look at it with me and let, let me know your thoughts. Just leave it at that, right? And if it's worth them pursuing, because they're in the, you know, every syndicator that I know of and I talk to, every one of them's always looking to build out their portfolio, right? Not a single one of them has ever said, I'm looking to stop adding units to my portfolio. I've never heard anybody say that unless you get to retirement age and you're just ready to be done with the whole, the whole business. But if it is a deal worth them exploring, they will tell you. Right now, you may have to be persistent and say, "Look, tell me, you know." Eventually, ask them what would it take for the, for you to participate in this deal with me, and you're going to have to give up some equity probably to do it. But don't try to sell them on it. Try to get their feedback on it, right? And let them drive a little bit and say, "Look, here's why I do this deal, or here's why I wouldn't do this deal." Right? You you should go to them because of their knowledge and expertise. Be humble for that two seconds and and let them do that for you. And if it's worth their time, they awesome. they'll bring it up. Why choose the outside areas, not the single family, but now the the bigger deals? Is there any kind of criteria you look for in the market that makes you choose those areas that you're in? 
Not really. The two areas or the two syndications we're in, one of them I knew very well. Uh, it's in Greenville, South Carolina, which is also where my in-laws are, are uh, lived and my wife lived her entire life until we moved to, to Florida. But so I knew that area pretty well. I knew what was kind of going on economically around there. So that one, I really didn't have to do a whole lot of research. The other one uh, is in Waxahachie, Texas, which is just south of Dallas. I really just trusted the the guy who put it together and was building a relationship with him over the course of a year uh, before I partnered with him on, on a deal. But there's one thing that I really look at, and that is uh, population growth. Anything else, yeah. you know, I mean, you can... You can find deal, you know, there's a lot of indicators that go into it for some sponsors, for some, but I'm not one that that's going to play the whole macroeconomics. It's just, it's one of those, look, I'm in it for the cash flow. The appreciation is nice if it happens, but I'm looking at making sure that cash flow is going to happen. And the best indicator for that is population growth. Now, typically, you know, the other things, the other safety nets that you want to look at are what kind of economic Industries are there, right? And the broader the spectrum, the better, because that means if something were to happen, let's just say in the automobile industry, then you know you've got some backup with tenants who may be in the healthcare industry or vice versa, right? So there there are some of those indicators, but really when it comes down to it, the very first thing I look at is uh, population growth. Awesome, that's great advice, man. And I, I'm interested in that as well, uh, of course, because the topic of out of state investing has always been on the back of my mind. So how can people reach you? How can people find you and learn more about what you're doing? The best place to connect is on, on our, our landing page is, is w2capitalist.com. Uh, from there, you can jump to our community, our YouTube channel, all you know the podcast. You can get links to all that. And when I say community right now, it's, it's hosting in Facebook, you know, the Facebook group. But yeah, w2capitalist.com. There's also, I think there's a form on there. My email address is on there for sure reach out. Awesome, man. Do you have any other recommendations or advice to our audience? Yeah. So one of the things that I will advise you guys on, and I've got a video on this on, on my YouTube channel is that as you're working at W2, you may be tempted to talk to people in your, your circle, your work circle, right? About what you're wanting to do on the real estate side. And I get asked this question all the time is, should I tell my boss? that I have these aspirations. And the quick answer to that is no. <laughs> and I go into the long answer on the YouTube video, but I give very specific examples because I've had uh, two jobs since I've uh, started investing in real estate or two different companies, I should say. And uh, both of those, I think, you know, we're talking about layoffs and all that stuff. I think we wouldn't be talking about layoffs if, uh, if they didn't know that about me. Interesting. I see. Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting concept. I, yeah. I appreciate that, uh, that advice, man. And, um, I'm going to be checking out that, uh, that video out. So hopefully yeah. uh, the listeners head on over there too, man. All right, Jay, I, I appreciate you having you on the show, man. Absolutely. Paul. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That's a wrap. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go ahead and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, or whatever you use. It really helps me keep producing these. Just search for the deals today podcast in your podcast directory podcast app so if you're not on my daily email newsletter and you want to be and you want to receive the free 40 days to find a deal seminar 
go ahead and go to realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Again, that's realestateaudios.com slash flipping. 